0: Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks for being here. Thanks for leading worship, Nathan and Jay. It was great. We've, uh, we've been talking on Sundays about what it means to be a disciple. And disciple might be a foreign word to you. Uh, you might have preconceived notions that come along with it, and that's exactly why we've been talking about what discipleship is. We define disciple from Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So for the last two weeks we've been looking at that one simple statement. We've looked at what it means to follow Jesus because a disciple is a follower. We've looked at what it means to be changed by Jesus last week. Jesus says, I will make you. And then this week we're going to look at fisher of men that a disciple is joining Jesus on mission. Now you think, okay, this is where we've talked about the heart, we've talked about us and Jesus, and now you're going to tell us to go do all this stuff for Jesus. And that's what mission is for Jesus. But we've very carefully chosen our language. A disciple is joining Jesus on mission. You're joining in something Jesus is already doing. And so actually the focus today is not going to be heaping all of these commands on you, that if you're going to be a real disciple, you've got to go live all this kind of way and give all this kind of stuff and do all this kind of stuff. That's really not what today is about. Actually today is we're going to look at the mission Jesus is on and how you're invited to play a part in it. So you're just invited to participate in something Jesus is already doing. The good news is that Jesus is already working, and you're invited to join it. So this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul wrote a few lively, colorful letters to the church at Corinth. Makes me feel better about any problems I feel like we have as a church. Uh... I mean, apparently they were suing each other. Apparently they were having the Lord's Supper, and they would come, and it would be like this whole meal, and the rich people would eat, and the poor people would show up, hungry, ready to take the Lord's Supper and remember the death of Jesus, and there wouldn't be anything left for them. I mean, all sorts of crazy problems. But in 2 Corinthians, the bulk of what Paul is talking about is he's actually defending his own ministry. See, the church in Corinth had a problem Uh, because of how global of a city it was, because of how wealthy, I mean, it was very much in these times a secular city. They would tend to look at power in very earthly ways. So when the apostle Paul comes and begins interacting with them, they don't really know how to take it. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's laying before them like, look, here's how you defend my ministry. Here's why I do what I do. Here's how I do what I do. And he, and he keeps telling the church at Corinth, he's like, look, you're, you're, it's going to be uncomfortable because you're not going to be able to judge me by these outward expectations, this outward external resume that you wish I had this outward appearance. You're not going to be able to judge me and defend me by that because he says in Second Corinthians 12, I'm, I'm super weak. And, and I, don't, I don't have a resume like that to stand on but I do have something else. And that's exactly what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter five. And we're gonna be looking this morning at verses 11 to 21. So if you have a copy of God's word or if you have a phone or anything else, dial it up. Let's read God's word. 2 Corinthians five, starting in verse 11 says this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God and I hope it's known also to your conscience we're not commending ourselves to you again. He's saying like, I'm not giving you another resume, asking you to like rehire me. Like I'm not going back to the basics here. I'm not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts to receive your word this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would meet the word of God in our hearts and produce real, lasting life change. We know only you can do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we look at this text, here's the first thing we see. We see Paul's motives for ministry, and we see what our motives for ministry ought to be. Paul's motives for ministry. So we've already said in 2 Corinthians he's defending his own ministry, and here in verses 11 to 15, we see Paul explain why he does what he does. So first, I want you to notice that he is not motivated to impress other people. He, he just has no desire to impress other people. Do you see what he says there in verse 12? We're giving you calls to boast about us so that you can answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what's in the heart. So when there's people in Corinth or talking to the church in Corinth and they want to boast about outward appearance, what you look like, how much power you have, how accomplished you are, I'm gonna help you defend my ministry to them because you know I don't have any outward appearance to boast about. Paul's not motivated by impressing other people. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians. He's introducing the letter of 1 Corinthians and at the end of chapter one and beginning of chapter two, listen to what he says and how countercultural it is. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He goes on in the beginning of chapter 2 there in 1 Corinthians, and he says, Look, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith wouldn't rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is not motivated by impressing people. If you are, you wouldn't be proud of being weak, of using simple words like Paul's saying, and being in fear and in much trembling. Look, Paul's not motivated by impressing people. In fact, he he says it in verse 12, in verse 13. If we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. Commentators think what he's saying in this verse is, look, some people have accused me of being out of my mind, of being crazy. If I am, it's because I'm just trying to be faithful to God. But if, if I seem like I'm in my right mind, it's for your sake. Either way, Paul's saying, I'm not living for me. I, I'm not here to impress people with my own resume, with my own outward appearance. That's not what I'm here to do. But if he's not here to impress other people, what are his motives for Paul's ministry? He says he is controlled by the love of Christ. Do you see that in verse 14? The love of Christ controls us or compels us. Now, this might mean christ's love for him or it might mean his love for christ but i would argue that they actually both start in the same place and they start with jesus loving paul so he recognizes that jesus loved him and it says this the love of christ controls us because we concluded this one has died for all therefore all have died hey i see the love of jesus because he died for me and he died for me to actually free me so i don't have to live for myself anymore but i can live for him Paul's motive for ministry is that he is controlled by the love of Christ. He's not controlled by trying to build a name for himself. Well, that's a great challenge for us. If, if you're going to claim the name of Jesus and be a disciple, th- this is our motive for living right here. We actually lay down the right to build a name for ourselves. We lay down our own right to, to build an impressive external resume. I don't know what your exposure has been to Christians before, Maybe good, maybe bad, maybe some of both. But regardless of that, I'll ask you to put that aside for a minute and look at scripture that Christians ought to base their lives on. And it actually says that we shouldn't be about pride and boasting and building a good outward appearance. But we actually ought to boast in being weak and not being the wisest or the biggest or the strongest or the richest. But actually what motivates us is the love of Christ. Is your life compelled and controlled by the love of Jesus? What is it that you're living for? Have you been freed by the work of Jesus that you don't have to live for yourself anymore? Did you know that that's freeing, that you don't have to live for yourself anymore? It, it, I promise it is. It's freeing that you don't have to try to build a name for yourself anymore, but you can let go of that. And you can latch yourself onto Jesus and let him give you a name. Let him give you a reputation. Let him give you a righteousness that you don't have to earn. You don't have to build. You don't have to define anymore. You can lay it down. And Paul's saying, that's exactly what I do. And he actually says, in fact, when I'm doing ministry, my whole motivation is the fact that Jesus loved me and I love him. I'm not trying to impress you and I'm not trying to impress other people. I'm just trying to love Jesus. But when Paul moves on from his motives of ministry, we see him jump right into the vision that he has for ministry. We see him jump into the vision of ministry. And here's where I think we see this in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, what does that mean? He's not saying we don't see people as human beings. When he says flesh, sometimes he's talking about skin and bones and meat but sometimes he's talking about uh, this worldly external ability and external perception he's talking about i don't see you according to just what you are on the outside he's saying i don't see people i don't regard people just according to worldly standards his vision for ministry his vision for the people he's doing ministry to goes beyond what they look like on the outside his vision for ministry actually contains something far deeper than that. Just like he's not out to prove himself by worldly standards, he also doesn't want to judge other people by worldly standards. So what are some of these worldly standards that we look people look at people through? What are some of those lenses we do? I mean, I just wrote some down that started coming to my mind. Things like race or politics or religion, language, it be like socioeconomic status, so income, possessions, houses, cars, clothes somebody wears. their occupation. maybe their own past, their story. And we view people as having a certain kind of story, and we put them in a, in a box. We regard them. We view them as a certain kind of person because of that story. Maybe fame, whether they're famous or not, maybe beauty. And maybe just their everyday decisions and their ways of life. Maybe their sin, the way they live, the, the struggles they have. These are all sorts of ways, these lenses that we see people through. And Paul's saying, look, I don't see people that way anymore. When I look at people, I'm looking at them differently. How, how then does, does Paul look at people? And how are we challenged to look at people? And here's the phrase I'll use this morning. Paul sees people with gospel potential. Paul sees people with gospel potential. He doesn't just see you as the sum of the decisions you've made. He doesn't see you as, hey, you know what? I can describe you perfectly. You make this much money, and that's all you are to me. Hey, you drive this kind of car. You live in this kind of house. Hey, you are all these bad, you are all these sins. That's all you are. Paul says, no, I'm I'm not going to regard you as that anymore. But look at what he says in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul doesn't look at people according to the flesh. He looks at people according to who they can be in Christ, which is a new creation. When Paul sees people, he doesn't see what they can't be. He sees who Christ says they can be. Because gospel potential is not about people's predicament, but it's about Jesus' power. And maybe that's for you this morning. Maybe you need to know your own gospel potential. And that your potential in Jesus is not based on your predicament. Maybe your predicament is hopeless. Maybe your predicament you think you're unfixable, you're unchangeable, you're unlovable. But the good news this morning is that your gospel potential is not based on your predicament. It's based on Jesus' power. And so because of that, when we're disciples, every single person we see, we don't have to just see their predicament. We can see right through it to see Jesus' power for them. But the challenge in my life, when I read this, is that I don't view people with gospel potential. I look at people sometimes and think, boy, there's no way they're going to come to know Christ. There's no way they're ever going to come to church with me. There's no way they're ever going to be open to hearing the good news of Jesus. And when I think that, what I'm saying is, it was easier for Jesus to save me than it would be for Jesus to save them. Like there's something about me that I was closer to Jesus than they were, even though we were both in sin and Jesus didn't have to stretch so far to find me and call me home and bring me to himself. Like, hey, it was easier for you to save me, Jesus, but man, that dude is way farther gone than me. There is no shot. And that's what convicted me about gospel potential in this passage. That gospel potential is based on Jesus' power and not our predicament. So that means also for better or for worse. So your predicament you might think puts you in a better situation as if you're somehow closer to Jesus, or you think your predicament puts you in a worse situation like you're somehow farther from Jesus, and neither one is true. It is Jesus' power and Jesus' power alone that saves you. And so Paul's saying, look, I, I, I know you want to look at people according to the flesh. You want to look at people according to worldly standards. He's saying, don't look at me that way because I don't have it. And I don't look at other people that way. The only way Paul is saying he does ministry is by not looking at people according to the flesh. But he's saying, I'm looking at them through the lens of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone, do you understand the power of that word, anyone? If you're anyone... Let me see. Oh, gospel potential all over the room. If you're in anyone, then you can be a new creation. Isn't that good news? Don't you wake up some days thinking, I could be a new creation. I wish I could be new today. Do you see what he says about new creation? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. You don't have to raise your hands this time but how many of you we just had our 10-year high school reunion last night i've been thinking a long time about the old things i wish had passed away i'll study in the yearbook to make sure i knew people's names and i got there and we had name tags i said thank god <laughs> and then my next worry was who am i gonna see that i'm gonna have to go apologize to yeah sorry i was a jerk sorry i was mean Sorry, I never talked to you. Sorry, I don't remember your name. I've been thinking a long time about the old that's passed away. Don't we Don't we all wish the old would pass away? Something in you, surely you, you wish the old would pass away. Where's the good news? Gospel potential. It's not based on your predicament. It's based on Jesus' power. And I think that's for some of you this morning. I, I, I think you might need to hear that this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you need to hear that this morning. That you've never put your faith in him to save you. That only Jesus can save you. Maybe you've never done that. And what you need to hear this morning is your predicament will not save you. And your predicament will not keep you from being saved. But just open your arms and let the power of Jesus save you. And tell him, I can't, but you can. And when we're doing ministry, when we're being a disciple that's joining Jesus on mission, sometimes you need to believe in someone before they'll believe for themselves. Does that make sense? I, you can't believe for somebody else, right? Like I, my, my faith doesn't count for my kids, but I believe in my kids in their gospel potential before they even believe for themselves. So I, I don't know. I mean, Cece is so sensitive to the things of God. But when I see her, I see gospel potential in her. That she could grow up in the love of Jesus Now, I have to have a vision beyond where she is right now to see that. And just like everybody you meet, just like your neighbors and your coworkers and your family, you see where they are right now. But you know what they need from you? They don't need you to focus on where they are now. They don't need you to focus on where they've been. They need you to see gospel potential in them and believe in them. Not because you think they have the power to change, but because you think Jesus has the power to change them despite the way they are. Maybe, maybe. That's what people in your life need. is some positive influence in their life from you just believing in them, not giving up, staying faithful, staying present in their lives. You know, we, uh, Al always says, the hardest part about preaching is you have to live it. Uh, and that's, that's absolutely true. So we're talking about this last night. We're driving to go to our high school reunion, and we stop at dinner before, and we're talking about how it seems like there are people that it's hard to have gospel potential. It's hard to see that gospel potential. It's hard to believe in people before they believe for themselves. Uh, and then we sit down at dinner next to an incredible family, and we got to spend an hour just ministering to this family. But the husband had been leading in churches for years, and, um, but just had some struggles in his life. And he's not even going to church right now, but he says, look, I, I know I love Jesus. Jesus loved me, but I don't I want to go. I don't want to go to church. But he was so open to saying, let's be friends. I don't have any other friends. Would you pray for me? And they're interested in coming here and being a part of this. And we walked away and we went, okay, we're getting to live that. We're getting to live what, I, what I'm what i about to have to preach tomorrow. To see the gospel potential as this guy was struggling. And this wife was struggling and had these four beautiful young kids. So then we're processing that and praying for them on the way to our reunion. And we step into our reunion and it was about three and a half hours straight of what we felt like was just ministry open doors. I mean, I, I literally just went from person to person that I hadn't seen in a decade. People that even before that decade, we weren't really friends, but I had someone come up to me and we did the banter. What are you doing now? And what are you doing now? And he started off and he said, man, I'm living the dream, man. I'm, I'm managing a liquor store in our hometown. And you know, like, yeah, you know, that's cool. What are you doing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm and i start telling him about my life. He said, you know, I came here tonight. I wanted to talk to you. Because I need someone in my life who cares about more than drinking and doing drugs. I don't know if I want God yet, but I just need somebody who cares about something other than that. Now, walking into that night, if you wrote his name down on a piece of paper and said, 1 to 10, what's God doing in his life? And I don't, nothing? I don't know. But I walked out of there going, God, you're working in ways I don't realize. You're calling people to yourself in ways I don't realize, and it's not based on their predicament. You could be the manager of a liquor store or a former worship leader, but Jesus' power is for you. Now, that's why we do ministry, and that takes us from Paul's vision for ministry to the next point, which is his confidence in ministry. What gives Paul any confidence? I want you to read the first five words of verse 18. It's five words in the ESV. I hope it's five words in yours. He says this in verse 18. All this is from God. What gives Paul any confidence to do ministry? What gives Paul any confidence to look at people in hopeless, sinful, wicked situations? And then look at people who are so religious, they don't see their own need for Jesus. But what gives him the confidence to share the gospel with the hopes that Jesus' power will change them? I'll tell you what gives him confidence. That he knows that all of this is from God. That none of this is from Paul. God's not asking us to join in his mission with all of our gifts Like, our confidence in ministry is not based on our gifts. It's based on God's gift of Jesus. All of this is from God. All of this. You know, it was God who has the wisdom to devise the plan of salvation. Do you realize that? Like, there's sin in the world. How in the world are we going to pay for sin? We can't. We cannot pay for sin on our own because we've transgressed a holy and perfect God. So what are we going to do? God says, I know I'll send the son of God who is fully God. Let him become a human so that he's also fully man. And here's what that will do. Because he's fully man, he can pay a perfect sacrifice for man's debt of sin. But because he's fully God, he can pay that sacrifice and not have to stay dead, but he'll be resurrected. What kind of unbelievable plan is that? That is all from God. He has the wisdom to devise that plan. He has the love that he wants that plan. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He didn't try like A to Y and then go, goodness, none of that worked. I guess, golly, Jesus, you're going to have to go now. Try everything else. No, that was plan A from the beginning was that that's how Jesus would do it. And he was excited too because he knew that Jesus' sacrifice was going to save us and bring us home to him. He has the love. He has the grace to give us what we didn't deserve. He has the grace to forgive, forgive us. You know what forgiveness means? It means Psalm 103 taking your sins and removing them from you as far as the east is from the west. Do you know east and west are not locations? They're directions, and they happen to be opposite directions. God has the grace to where the things you've done wrong in your life, He'll take it and He'll remove it infinitely, eternally far from you. All this is from God. This forgiveness, from God. He has the mercy to hold back from us the things that we do deserve. Like judgment and separation from him. He has the righteousness to provide exactly what we need. He has the holiness that requires sin to pay its price. And injustice cannot last forever. God has the power to bring life out of death. All this is from God. We've already seen Paul talk about outward appearance and worldly standards. He said, don't judge me by it. I don't judge other people by it. But you also need to know your confidence for ministry is not based on worldly standards. Did you know that? Your confidence for ministry is not based on worldly standards. Your participation in the mission of Jesus is not based on your gifts, your abilities, your strength. It's not based on that. It's based on the fact that you have the Holy Spirit. Done. That's it. Period. I don't care how unqualified you think you are. If you have the Spirit of God in you and you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to ministry. You are called to ministry. There is no, there's no one that can tell you otherwise. So ministry is not like what I'm doing and what Jay and Nathan did and what Al does and what Matthew does. And then you all just say like, hey, you guys are in ministry and I'm a happy recipient of that. No, that's not ministry. Ministry is when God uses you. Ministry is when God uses you in somebody else's life. You, normal, ordinary, everyday you. And that brings us to the last part of this text, our role in ministry. Is that we are ambassadors. Do you see that word Paul uses? Ambassadors. An ambassador is a citizen of somewhere else that goes and lives in another place in order to represent their home. So Paul says, like, look, I, I'm a member of like new creation Reality. I'm not a member of this world, this world's regime. Like, that's not where I belong, but I'm here representing God's world. I'm here representing God's plan and God's gospel. So what does that mean that we're an ambassador? You, it means this, you are a walking example of God's new creation handiwork. You're a walking example of everything else we've talked about. You're a walking example of when gospel potential becomes gospel reality. So when you're looking at people and and you're tempted to look at their predicament, you're tempted to look at their outward appearance, you're tempted to look at their external resume as a reason why they may or may not come to know Jesus, and you feel the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 look with gospel potential. Look with gospel potential at them. Look what I can do. Don't look at their predicament. Look at my power and have confidence in that. So then what do you do? You put yourself right in their shoes and you say, oh, I was there. I'm an example of what God can do with someone just like you. You tell your story. You go to the people in your life and and you say, I I didn't have hope. (laughs) But I had gospel potential, not because of me. Not because I was closer than you are now. But I had gospel potential because of Jesus' power to change my life. That's what that means. That's what it means to be an ambassador. It means to be a walking example of what happens when gospel potential becomes gospel reality. So this morning, we're talking about joining Jesus on mission but you can't do that without talking about the mission of what Jesus is here to do. He said, I, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's, that was me before Jesus. The lost separated from God, darkness, dead in my sin. And Jesus came to seek me out. Well, not, not because my predicament made me like closer and not because my predicament made me further away like Jesus had to do something extra to save me but he came to save me because of his power to take on my sin and pay the price for it. And the good news for every single one of us here this morning is that that's what Jesus does for you. So everyone here this morning, you either know Jesus or you don't yet. I'll speak gospel potential into your life today. If you don't know Jesus, I'll say you don't know Jesus yet. But I believe that Jesus' power is for you, and I can offer you this morning (laughs) the free gift of grace to come and drink the living water that you won't be thirsty again. You don't have to keep going back to the wells of of water that keep making you thirsty over and over and over. You keep returning to those things thinking that they're going to satisfy you. You keep thinking, man, if I had a family, if I had a job, if I was married, if I had a house instead of an apartment, if I had a car instead of this one, if I had you keep thinking if I had, if I had, if I had, I'm gonna be satisfied, I'm gonna be satisfied, I'm gonna be satisfied. Stop drinking that water. Come drink the living water and realize oh, this is what I was made for. You 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 can have that today. And if you know Jesus, so that's if you don't know Jesus, come, come to Jesus this morning. He's ready. You know what he says? Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden. We all qualify. We all qualify. If you don't know Jesus, in just a minute we're going to pray and I want you to come and know Jesus. If you do know Jesus, I want you to consider how you had gospel potential before you knew Jesus. I want you to consider how there was a time that you didn't know Jesus, but now that you do, God's called you to be an ambassador. Now that doesn't mean you add anything to your life. You may think, what, Johnny? We're talking about mission. I thought you were going to lay all this stuff that we had to start doing onto us and tell us we had to start doing all these extra programs and all these trips and all these initiatives and Saturday work days in the community. No, 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 no. Here's what it means to be an ambassador to be on mission. You don't add anything to your life, but you change the way you do everything you already do. You keep doing everything you're doing. You keep being a neighbor. You keep being a part of your family. You keep going to the grocery store. You keep going to Starbucks. You keep hanging out with your friends. You keep going to the park. You keep taking your kids to school. But here's what you've got to do with all those places. Open your eyes and see the people there with gospel potential. See your kids' teachers as opportunities for Jesus to show off his saving power. See your neighbors as opportunities for Jesus to save. See your friends with gospel potential. See your old high school classmates with gospel potential. See your family with gospel potential. Ask God, say, God, give me your heart for these people that you've already put in my life. You don't have to add anything. God's already put you there. You know, we have a saying, we end every service with it. We say, you are sent. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean you're sent from here. It means everywhere you already are is not by accident. But God has intentionally sent you there to be an ambassador, to be a walking example of what happens when you go from gospel potential to gospel reality. To show people in your life, not I'm a Christian, I'm better than you, but I'm a Christian, I'm just as hopeless as you. The only difference is I have Jesus and you can have him too. So this morning, that's that's the call for all of us. If you know Jesus, I'm praying that God gives you a lens of gospel potential for the people in your life. That you'd see everyone everyone as not too far gone. That you'd see everyone not based on their predicament, but see them based on Jesus' power. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then my invitation to you is don't look at yourself based on your predicament. Now, here's what that can mean, though. On the one hand, don't think you're too far gone. Don't think, man, there's no way Jesus can forgive me for all the stuff I've done. Absolutely he can. But also, don't slide yourself into thinking you're a christian when you're really not don't think you're closer than you really are there's a pretty wide chasm between being in jesus and not being in jesus because if you're not in jesus the bible says you're dead if you are the bible says you're alive so so don't try to excuse this thing like hey it's been a while but me and god like he knows i've kind of not been around i've thrown up some prayers in time of need no 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 (laughs) don't play games with yourself You know, in the depths of your heart, here's how you know if you are a disciple of Jesus. You love him more than anything. Hey, it's not based on your predicament. Don't convince yourself you're closer than you are and don't convince yourself you're farther. It's not based on your predicament. It's based on Jesus' power. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, come to me. I'm going to be right here. Or I'm going to invite you to come. Lynn's going to come stand up here. Surprise, Lynn. You're going to come stand up here and be Al today. Come talk to me or Lynn, one of our leaders here. And we want to pray with you and help you come to know Jesus this morning. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, that would would just make today incredible. I pray that we would walk away with this vision that Paul has for gospel potential the potential for Jesus to save anybody. And I pray that as we go this week, which by the way, that's the language of the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples. As you go, make disciples. As you go this week, you'd see everyone with gospel potential because of how powerful Jesus is. So you know how to respond. If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. And if you know Jesus, today's your day to begin living with a new lens. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are so good to us when we don't deserve any of it because we've looked at you and we've said, no, I'm good. I I don't need it. But you chase us down over and over and over. We build up barriers between us. We have a God-sized hole in our hearts and we try to fill it with everything but you. But God, (laughs) you keep coming. You keep coming. And just like we're about to sing this song again, you are mighty to save. You are mightier than our predicaments. You are mightier than our sins. You are mightier than our suffering. You are even mightier than our doubts. And so, God, we throw ourselves onto you this morning because we have nowhere else to go. You are all, if we don't have you, we have nothing. We could have everything else this world has to offer. But the moment we die, it's gone but if we have you, God, we have everything. I pray this morning you would set some people free, that they don't have to live for themselves anymore. They can live for you. Give us a lens to see people the way you see people with gospel potential that you can make anyone a new creation. And I pray this morning you would show us that by doing it. Make someone a new creation this morning. So before I say amen, keep an attitude of prayer. Jay and Nathan are back up here, and we're getting ready to sing a song. It's the one we sang earlier, Mighty to Save. I hope these words make you think about this. And if today is your day to put your faith in Jesus, turn your life around and give it to him. I want you to come talk to either me or Lynn. So let's stand and let's sing together. Amen.